Hi, everybody. Tatum here. I just wanted to make a quick announcement before this episode begins. Um, Due to the nature of this movie and the rap group that it revolves around, there will be quite a bit of explicit language throughout the episode, uh, particularly the use of the N-word. So I just wanted to prepare everybody um, just in case people are not comfortable with explicit language, swear words, or anything having to do with um, just violence or things like that. So um, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there so that people can be prepared. And yeah, with all that being said, let's dive into our Straight Out of Compton episode. Damn, that shit was dope! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Your Pick, a movie podcast. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. So... To get us started, I just want to welcome our guest today, which is none other than my father. So, woohoo! Yay! Yay. My dad is here. (laughs) Our very first guest. Yes, he is our first guest, and we are very excited to have him here. Hopefully, uh, things go well because we've never had a guest before. So, hopefully, things will be okay. Um, so before we get started, I just want to say, uh, I'm very nervous <laughs> to, to host this episode. This is the first time that I've been nervous because normally it's just me and Geneva. Now we have a third person. And also this movie is the first thing that we've covered that is, um, purely nonfiction. So there's a lot of just implications on the reality of the world that we live in. And so there's just a lot surrounding this film. And so, yeah, I'm very nervous to leave this discussion, but hopefully it'll be okay because uh, we've got wonderful guests here. So, yeah. So I just want to introduce my dad, Francis. If you would like to share with us, can you tell us kind of the history of your relationship just with movies in general? Uh, relationship with movies. I'm, I am married to um, I, I don't know how far we want to go with this, but of course, as you know, and and I assume Geneva knows as well, but I am married to um, a, a integral part of the movie industry on the on the uh, hair and makeup side, which would be my my wonderful spouse, um, and of course Tatum, you're in the industry as well. So I, you know, from a simple standpoint, that's pretty much my connective tissue, my tendons, if you will, to the uh, f- the current film market industry okay cool um and so yeah i just want to share a little bit about why we decided to bring on my dad as a guest for this episode um so my dad he was so first of all i've mentioned before that i am mixed uh so my dad is a black man and he is actually around kind of the age of the members of nwa and so he was kind of uh, growing up during the time, not growing up, but he was a young adult during the time that this music was coming out and kind of very influential around the country. So I just thought it would be interesting to kind of get his perspective because Geneva and I, even though, well, 
I mean, we weren't actually even alive when <laughs> when they first started <laughs> releasing music. Um, so yep. yeah, I thought it would be good to bring someone who was actually alive during the time and also someone who was around the age range of them and also someone who is a black man. So yeah, let's just welcome my dad. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so Geneva, I guess- you know. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to jump in and say, so I was introduced to um, NWA, which is the subject of this discussion, right? Um, uh, as a as a quote-unquote rap band um, when I was uh, in college, right? Um, and I had a friend who was studying photography um, it's just a little bit of my background for, for Geneva's benefit or anybody else listening. So I'm, I'm pretty yeah, much please. a, a bo- very, very boring corporate executive, <laughs> right? I don't have any, uh, creative juice. I don't have any, um, creative experience. I'm just a boring corporate executive guy, right? Just pretty much straight, straight arrow, uh, stay in my lane, rarely deviate. This is why I live vicariously through my my beloved sure. children and of course my wife who are the creative geniuses behind this whole thing right so um I, I for some reason i look back on my past and when i was introduced to nwa um i had a friend of mine who also was in the creative side of things he was a photographer and he he had this bucket hat that i thought was really cool and unusual and it said nwa straight out of compton on it right um uh, I, I didn't know what that meant at the time. I had no idea. And I was like, man, that is a really cool bucket hat. And it, and he's like, you want it? And I'm like, yeah, I do want it. Can I, can I have it? So I ended up wearing this, this bucket hat that said NWA straight out of Compton, which I had no idea what it represented at the time. Uh, and I ended up home that summer and I can't remember who it was. Tatum and I had this discussion yesterday, but I, I can't remember who the person was, but somebody came up to me at like a restaurant or something and I had this cool bucket hat on and they're like, dude, well, we, they didn't say dude back then. I think it was like, man, <laughs> man, yo, what, what's up with NWA, bro? You know, whatever. And I'm like, um, I don't know. It's just a hat. Right. And <laughs> they were like, bro, come on. They're awesome. Do you know what this represents? Are you representing? I'm like, I'm not representing anything. I'm just a guy out of college who's home for the summer wearing a cool hat, you know? Um, Anyway, as it turned out, uh, he, this person, uh, informed me that it, what it stood for. And, uh, at the time I was like, oh, okay. That's <laughs> really provocative. <laughs> I'm not trying to be provocative. I just want to fade in. I, I just want to blend in and enjoy life. And I don't want to be the, you know, perceived as this radical guy that was part of this movement. Right. And that's kind of my experience, um, with NWA. And from that point forward, um, I, I've never, and Tatum will attest to this. I'm, I didn't, I'm not a big rap guy. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, plugged in with the inner city struggle, um, at all, at the least we'll get into that more down the road. But anyway, so that, that's how the whole NWA straight out of Compton thing, um, uh, was shared with me or how, how I initially experienced it. So, um, 
I'm very, very excited to kind of talk about the developments now that the movie's, you know, been out for a while. And um, I think it really touches on some some chords here that uh, are relevant to society today. So I'll leave it at that. Did you, um, after learning what that stood for, did you go and, and look up any of their stuff? Or was it much later that you kind of started to get no, to know them? No, 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 I did not. Good question. Um, I, I really um, kind of took a backseat and felt that I was, you know, I, I think I, at that time of my life, I was obviously a lot younger and I didn't really want to make waves because when I found out that they were kind of a controversial band, quote unquote, I'm, I'm going to use that term because it's a boomer term, whatever, but <laughs> um, uh, a rap band at the time and it was very controversial. I didn't want anything to do with that. I didn't want to be pegged or slotted or categorized as a radical or some you know crazy inner you know crazy but some inner city uh, struggle you know voice that that was not me so I kind of just turned away from it put the hat away um, and didn't look back so no I did not follow up on the music I didn't follow up on the lyrics I really you know and, and that was a time back then in the eighties and I have this on, on on one of the things I wanted to discuss because it was all about you know war on drugs just say no this is all before you guys were born but there was a whole political movement uh which I think they touch on a little bit in the film not enough in my opinion but uh yeah there was this whole drug thing back in the eighties and um it was it was a very um touchy kind of sensitive time for inner city um youth who were struggling to break out of poverty and they still are obviously today, but anyway, so, so in direct answer, no, I, I did not follow up. I didn't really do any research. I was, I was young. I was having fun, enjoying my life and <laughs> didn't want anything that would stand in the way of me getting forward or getting mine. So uh, yeah, I kind of just put it on the shelf and let it go. That being said though, I, I would, I mean, you can correct me, but I do feel like even though you might not have engaged with it at the time, I do have memories of you engaging with these things. Maybe as you got older, when I was a kid, I remember you playing Tupac in the house. I remember things like that. And definitely like, by the way, (laughs) well, yes, Um, but, you know, and and now that we're older, you are very engaged with these topics and and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, but not to like go too far down that rabbit hole before we even, uh, technically I haven't even announced what film we're talking about about today. (laughs) No one could possibly Um, know. (laughs) It gets in the title of the episode or anything. Um, But yeah, so I guess I'll um, I'll get the conversation rolling here. Um, But yeah, so today on the show, we will be discussing the 2015 film Straight Out of Compton, directed by F. Gary Gray and produced by Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, among others. The film stars O'Shea Jackson Jr., Corey, Haw- Corey Hawkins, Jason Mitchell, Neil Brown Jr., Aldous Hodge, and Marlon Yates Jr., who all play the original members of the rap group NWA. NWA, or Niggas with Attitude, released their debut album in 1988, which featured some of their biggest hits, Straight Outta Compton, Fuck the Police, and Gangsta Gangsta. The group released music that shined unabashed light on the racism and police brutality that existed specifically in the neighborhood of Compton in Southern California, but also reflected the realities of many other black communities throughout the United States. There was much controversy around the group at the time, as many marginalized communities felt empowered and many wealthier white communities felt threatened. NWA, though made up of six men, launched the careers of arguably their most well-known members, Ice Cube and Dr. Dre. 
Ice Cube went on to be a screenwriter and actor, while Dr. Dre became one of the most influential music producers of the hip-hop genre, and some would argue of all time. He has discovered artists like Anderson Pack, 50 Cent, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and Snoop Dogg, while additionally, pro- while additionally producing tracks for Tupac and Mary J. Blige. The legacy of this rap group is undeniable, and unfortunately, many of the, ra- of the realities that motivated their lyrics are still prevalent today. In an interesting coincidence, though maybe not a coincidence at all, Straight Outta Compton, come awards season, was a part of the now-famous Oscar So White controversy. In a year with films such as Straight Outta Compton, Chirac, and Creed, none of them, not one of them was recognized at the 88th Academy Awards in any major category. The Best Picture nominees featured all-white casts, and all four acting categories featured not one person of color. Though Straight Outta Compton did receive a nomination for Best Original Screenplay, all of the writers were white. Additionally, out of every single category that year, only two featured any African-Americans. So, uh, as I hinted before about <laughs> the difficulty that I, the, ner- the nerves that I'm feeling with hosting this episode, obviously there are lots of dynamics to this. There's the movie itself, there's the, the rap group itself, and then there's kind of the, the Oscars award side of things when this movie was released in 2015. So, uh, we'll do our best to kind of navigate through that as time goes on, um, But Geneva, can you get us started off by just sharing your overall thoughts on the movie and if you have seen it before? Yeah, so I had not seen this movie before. Um, I remember that that year. That was just, uh, I think that was the year I was actually just starting to get into the Oscars, um, you know, and trying to watch all the, the the Best Picture nominees. And I, of course, I remember the controversy when it wasn't nominated not just for best picture, but um, uh, none of none of the um, actors were nominated. Which, having now watched it, <laughs> I think is absolutely insane. Yes, um, absolutely insane. <laughs> <sighs> yes. Um, anyway, yeah. So I, I was really excited that you picked this, so I could finally have a chance to see it. It's it's been on my list for a long time, um, and it was a, a bit intimidating, honestly, going in as a person who you know, as a, a white woman who has no kind of prior awareness or um, history whatsoever with um, with rap, with um, this time period and, and what was going on, you know, I just, I just don't, you know, have any sort of context for it. Um, so it was a little bit, it was a little bit difficult at the beginning when I was, um, you know, starting the movie, because there's a lot of historical figures who are depicted and that you're kind of very quickly expected to understand. Um, but um, yeah, I figured it out. This, the movie does a very good job, I think, of introducing um, all of the characters and the relationships to one another and the dynamics of um, kind of the cultural, um, political situation that they were growing up in. Um, yeah. And I, I really like this movie. Uh, I don't, I think it's, I don't think it's without flaws, but um, it does a really, really good job of kind of shining a light on a situation that, um, you know, people such as myself don't have a lot of awareness of. Um, I think it does a fairly good job, although we can definitely get into it a bit more, but of depicting the kind of complicated legacy of what they were doing, um, how, you know, there's 
so much that was admirable about the the honesty that they had when in talking about their situation and um you know bringing awareness and just being very unapologetic about the injustices that they were seeing but there's also a lot of that is problematic um and controversial for understandable reasons about um the the music that they were writing as well so you know, I think the the movie does a pretty good job of um, depicting that, although maybe it could, there are some ways that it could um, bring that out a little more. But yeah, overall, I thought it's a really good movie. Um, it does, I think, get a little more, I think it starts very strong in terms of, um, you know, the, the way the way that it sets everything up is very, just feels very fresh and very... Um, exciting and very um just layered and, and dynamic i think toward the end for me it gets a starts to lean a little bit more toward the traditional biopic you know musical mm. biopic formula um but that's also just you know the reality of <laughs> how their story plays out in terms of where they the the screenwriters made the decision to end their story um but yeah i think overall it's a it's a really good movie and I'm really glad that it got a best screenplay nomination, but um, I wish it had gotten more. In particular, I was very, very impressed with O'Shea Jackson Jr. Who I've, I've mm. seen in a few things and he's always impressed me. And I watched him in this and I was like, yeah, Oscar nomination. Where is it? And then I looked <laughs> it up and I discovered this was, I believe his first ever movie um, or TV show, like his first sort of major acting job, which is very impressive. Um, but yeah, across the board, the acting is, is phenomenal. I think the so direction by Gray is phenomenal. Yeah. So yeah, it was really, really good. I loved hearing those thoughts, Geneva. I look forward to getting into them more as we move forward. Um, so Francis, what are, can you just share your overall thoughts on just the movie itself? Well, first, 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 I have a question, um, if I may. Uh, can either of you opine or give me a little background on F. Gary Gray, the director? Because um, obviously, I wasn't following him the first time that I watched it, um, but I did take notes the second time out, and I thought his directing was, frankly, uh, very, very cutting and um, in a good way, right? Um, do do we know his background? I mean, he's, has he done anything any other work since? Did he was this his first film project? I, I don't recall. Yeah, so um, I've got it. I've got it pulled up right now. Um, I believe Friday was actually his first directing job, but I might be wrong about that. Yeah. Um, oh, he directed Friday. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he he and he's also directed music videos for Usher, Dr. Dre, uh Queen Latifah, Whitney Houston. I so it looks yeah, it looks like he's R. Kelly, Will Smith, Outcast. So he's directed a lot of looks like hip hop music videos. Uh, um okay. he also okay. directed a movie with Jamie Foxx called Law Abiding Citizen, which I'm not really the biggest fan of, but um, but it looks like most of his directorial experience. He also directed the Italian Job. Um, really? Huh. Oh yeah, the yeah. remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. The, sorry, he did. A, he did one of the uh, Fast and the Furious movies as well. Yeah, so he's kind of all over the place. But it looks like most of his experiences. Well, 
yeah, he's kind of all over the place, but he's directed a lot of hip hop music videos for big names. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> dur- during that time frame, going back to the mid to late 80s, um, I believe, and they, they spoke about this in the film, um, that uh, Boys in the Hood, which, which was released um, sometime before, around the same time, I think that uh, NWA became relevant, at least in Los Angeles and on the West Coast. Um, and that movie was groundbreaking. And I'm just talking about, you know, throwing a little pub to uh, uh, Boys in the Hood. Um, Lawrence Fishburne. (laughs) Yeah, uh, which which seemed to give some traction, some ground, um, some 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 degree of fertilization of the soil so that films like this or or at least the music of that time could be um, circulated on a on a broad media platform. Right. uh, rap was quote unquote gangster rap was was um, it, you know just burgeoning out of the inner city struggle right you you had your west coast and again I'm I'm uh, we, I don't know if we'll have time to get into this but so I'm uh, I'm originally from the east coast um, spent most of my life in the Midwest. And now I plan on spending the, you know, the remainder of my time on the planet on the West Coast. So I, I can safely say that I, I affectionately identify as bicoastal. Anyway, um, so, so, you know, the New York thing, which, which was this uh, rough, um, just, you know, heavy drum beat, you know, the, uh, what was it? The, uh, the breakdancing music was, was, was coming out of New York City and, um, at that time, after Boys in the Hood, there was this West Coast movement, right, um, that everybody was hearing about, um, uh, and it it, devi- it it was it was different from the East Coast uh, hip hop, quote unquote, rap scene because uh, you can tell in the in the film straight out of Compton that the the beats are just more guttural um the there's more bass there's there's a bit more rhythm to it they're they're doing a lot more uh, 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 or dr dre was doing a lot of sampling of old r&b tunes right from the 60s and 70s um whereas in new york they weren't for whatever reason they were just guys on the street who were break dancing to you know beats you know you know whatever it was in the 80s um and then this west coast thing coming out of um um, uh, Boys in the Hood introduced the world, really, or society, to this this element of music um, that was really, really moving. I'm not talking about the lyrics, just the music. At this point, it was just very catching and very. For those of us that were that grew up in a black community, <clears throat> whether you're inner city or suburban, the point is we all have those roots, right? And so. What Dr. Dre was able to do somehow was tap into that, what we call that old soul music. Tatum will appreciate that. And, and it has a different vibe, uh, a different sound. And then when you, when, you, when you link in the lyrics over that, it's just, it, it's hard to just sit and not move, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a very rhythmic West Coast vibe that, that was very enticing. In the 80s. But anyway, okay, the, the, the movie itself, um, uh, uh, I would say one of the things that struck me was, um, uh, and one of my last points, notes that I took last night when I was watching it was after, after the sex, the misogyny, the violence, 
um, which there's quite a bit, um, the rule of business always applies, right? Now that that I can tap into as a, as a corporate executive, right? Because it's all about product, it's all about market, and ultimately profit, right? And um, so so I think the, the 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 director did a credible job, I, I you know uh, of 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 sort of juxtapositioning that that conflict from my standpoint anyway, because you have, you know, these guys are coming from nothing, right? Um, uh, they're genius in some respect. I mean, we'll t- I'm sure Tatum will, will end up talking about uh, Dr. Dre and his genius and how he parlayed that into a multi, you know, billion with a B industry um, um, from his from his talent. But but again, um, these guys come from nothing. They, 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 they lock themselves like many musicians do. It's not just a rap thing. It's all these musicians that are just trying to, you know, uh, demonstrate and reflect their art and they get locked into these agreements without reading the paperwork or they get locked in with the wrong people or whatever it may be. Um, So I would say, yeah, I like the movie, but that's one of the reasons why I do like the movie because it it does a a credible job of, of, you know, getting, because listen, if if you watch that film as, as we did, it's, it's violent. Um, It's, it's, it's misogynistic. It's, it's really disturbing on many levels. But in the, but in the end, it's 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 one of its redeeming quality is that the struggle and poverty is real in the inner city. But once you break out of that, um, then you have a whole nother element of profitability that you have to deal with because now you're you're in a whole new different realm from what you were really singing about. Yeah, well, that's something that, that really sense. struck me watching the movie too, and I think you know, they, they had to stop at a certain point. So maybe they wouldn't, weren't able to, to go as far into this, but the idea that they are sort of, um, making into a commodity, their background of deprivation in this, in a sense, you know, that at, at a certain point, their background of being impoverished becomes then their selling point. And, the sort of they're the rules of where they grew up. And then they're suddenly transplanted into this new world where there are new rules. Like there are multiple times that characters will say, you're not in Compton anymore. You know, you can't do this. You're not in Compton anymore. Things don't work this way. And so there's that kind of, you know, where they were is the thing that brought them to where they are. But then how does that, you know, how does that affect then the way that they operate in the, the new surroundings that they find themselves so I'll just quickly say uh, I chose this movie to discuss this week. So I think it goes without saying that I really like it. Um, I I think I'm a little bit less critical of it than it seems like you two are. And we can talk about that. Um, I mean, I definitely don't think this is a perfect film. I, I think that, you know, with any with any portrayal of anything, there's going to be bias. I I mean, this is kind of a philosophical train of thought but i don't think it's possible to make anything that's unbiased even if it's a documentary um so there definitely is bias in this but that being said i think that its message is really important um and i think that i think that it's been very um i think that it's been proven in recent years that the messages that these songs and that these um, artists were talking about are still relevant today uh which is very unfortunate, but um, also I think it's just good for people to be educated on these things. Um, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily know about Rodney King and what happened with him and his trial and 
um, you know, people look at George Floyd and they're like, oh, wow, this is a recent thing. And it's like, well, no, like this has been happening a long time for a long time. And this is why people anyway, I don't want to go like too far down that rabbit trail. But it's like that's why people care so much when these things happen, because we have a track record of people being, you know, let off when they should be locked up or, you know, so there's, there's just a lot of layers to this movie. Um, and also as my dad kind of hinted at, like the music slaps, the music is just so good. Dre is a genius. Um, I, I, I don't know if maybe based off of what the two of you have said, maybe I kind of am the most in the rap scene out of the three of us. I love rap music. Um, I listen to a lot of the artists that Dre discovered and has produced for, um, even though I know my dad's a huge Mary J. Blige fan. He's always said that. Um, but yeah, I I do love rap music. And so I really like the legacy of it. And and I like when rap tells a story and when rap has a purpose. Um because there is a lot of rap out there, as with any genre of music, I guess, but there is a lot of rap out there that is just, it has no message whatsoever. Um, and I love that this group uh, just talks about a message that's important. And because of that, this movie, I think, represents it really well. So, um, yeah, Can so let's go ahead. Can I question about that, actually? Because um, the, the movie you know, one of the things that's so revolutionary is depicted in the movie about the the lyrics that Cube was writing and, you know, the music that Dre was producing was the fact that it was these reality raps that were really talking honestly about what was going on. Um, so between the two of you, what was rap like at the time, you know, that it wasn't, that this was kind of a, a shift from what it was before, if you understand my meaning because my understanding rap was not had not been around very long before that right it was maybe only like 10 20 years old um i i didn't i I didn't do a lot of i didn't do like a whole bunch of research on this side of things so don't like quote me on anything but from what i think i know about this i feel like rap music hadn't really crossed over like it was kind of something that african-american communities knew about but it wasn't like oh everyone's listening to this but because nwa was so controversial everyone kind of was like oh my gosh what is this and so for better or for worse for better or for worse right (laughs) i think people became aware of rap music because of because of the just kind of the the groundbreaking um like music that this group was making yeah, Correct me if I'm sense. wrong, Francis, but I think that I think that's kind of the way that it that it works out. I I can concur with 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 um with a point you made that that yeah it 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 certainly began to cross over. I wouldn't where I where I disagree is that it is NWA was not a crossover medium of rap medium. Um, in, in fact, it was quite polarizing, right? Um, um, it really, there, there were, there, there was NWA and there was public enemy. I'm sure you guys have heard of public enemy. So they were the East coast and I'm using today's terms. They, they were, you know, being broadcast as these radical inner city thugs, right? Because they, they don't fit the mainstream. They're preaching violence, hate the, you know, fuck the police, you know, um, I, I, you could go on and on and on. So at that time, um, Geneva, yeah, it, it hadn't it hadn't gone mainstream just yet. Uh, it, it was still very polarizing. Hence the 
the police, the persecution by authorities, the, the, the government interventions to, you know, we've got to shut this down, you know, you know, this is, this is just, it was almost, you know, it's reminiscent of when, and I, this is before my time, even when, when Elvis Presley, right. Um, uh, took the stage and I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. But I was about to say, about it really day. reminded me of that, that scene. Oh, yeah. let's, oh are we really comparing Sorry. this movie to Elvis? No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. We might have to throw down if that's what we're doing. No, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. But, but, but the point is, is that politically, uh, neither of these, um, artists were embraced by the mainstream, Right. Um, that's well, that, all I'm that's saying. Kind so, of, so, that's kind of what I meant when I said NWA, for better or for worse, kind of crossed over in the sense that, like, I don't think it it made it something where, oh, my gosh, now everyone's listening to rap music and they love it. I think it was more so people are now aware that this music exists because they have no choice but to reckon with it because it's on the news everywhere and it's a huge controversy around it. So I don't feel like it was something where everyone wants to listen to rap music now because NWA is making music. I think it was just something where it was like, oh, everyone is now aware of this because mm-hmm. it, it's such a big deal that you can't really avoid it. So that's kind of what I was hinting at. But they, they were they were forced to be reckoned with, I feel like. Um, sure. But yeah. OK, so let, let's kind of let's kind of jump into the movie here because uh, we're already half hour in and we haven't even talked about the movie. Um, so. Something that I, one of the first things I wrote down when watching this movie is I love how this film establishes the characters right from the get-go. I love how it establishes where these men are coming from, right? It's like Easy e was, he was slinging dope. He was dealing drugs. That was kind of his way of getting by. And then Dre was trying to get out, but his mom wanted him to have a job and, and you know, kind of the the shame that he initially felt in like abandoning this, this dream that his mom was hoping she had built for him and he was kind of paving his own way. And, and, um, and yeah, cube just kind of coming home from school, right. You know, writing rhymes and all that stuff and just being thrown into police brutality. That's like literally happening in his front yard. Um, I just feel like the film did a really, really good job right off the bat of just establishing establishing these people, these characters, and where they're coming from, just to kind of give more impact going forward as to, you know, just where they end up. Because it's, yeah, just where they started and then where they end up. I think it's a really great um, way that they kind of balance those those two things, and it all starts right here with the with the introduction. Geneva, did you have any like early, early opening thoughts on the movie? Um, I mean, like I said, you know, it was a little bit um, difficult to follow at the very beginning for me, just because there are a lot of characters that this movie is following. Um, You know, there's a lot of people in their orbit that are, you know, if you probably, I assume if you have any sort of passing awareness of (laughs) NWA and, um, you know, the, the foundations of gangster rap, you'd probably be familiar with the the names that are being thrown out, but I wasn't. So it took me a little while to kind of get um, caught up, but um, I was very impressed with the, um, I guess it's sort of a styled as a cold open because it, it happens. And then the, the title comes up, but just the beginning when it's easy E coming into um, I think it's his cousin's house, which is sort of a crack house. Like a, yeah, like a, a drug den, basically. Yeah, and then yeah. it gets unceremoniously, the door is battered down by a 
police officer driving a tank of some sort, which I mean, <laughs> I can't say I'm surprised, but also it was very surprising. It was very shocking. But in, you know, Easy is trying to escape and it's it's very well well directed as, as I said before, you know, it's very suspenseful. Um so that in and that's just a great way I think to establish kind of the the context for what's happening and um you know the the types of situations and struggles that are going to be outlined more um later in the movie um you know the them versus the police but also them versus sort of their their surroundings and the kind of darkness in the um you know the community around them that is you know pulling them in different directions yeah uh francis did you have any opening thoughts from from the beginning of the movie regarding like anything that they portrayed or anything that you saw anything like that um i i would i would only add that that the 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 introduction of the of that initial conflict between the police and the uh quote-unquote drug den uh, I, I think is is substantive in that it 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 fairly introduces you to the ultimate conflict, and that is life in the inner city, um, and being a law enforcement officer in the inner city. So, yeah, I think one of the things it's that an interesting I dichotomy. Yeah, one one of the things that I love about this movie, which is potentially maybe part of the reason why you guys are a little bit more critical with it. I don't know, but I really like movies that show that, that that give credence to the perspective of other people where you otherwise might not have seen their perspective. And I feel like this movie is super important because from the outside, you can kind of look at it and be like, Oh my gosh, this group is so, you know, they're, they have history of violence and misogyny and all of those things. And that might be true, but also from their perspective and from what they've experienced, their actions are legitimate. And I think that that's a really important thing to recognize when consuming any sort of story or piece of art. You have to, or even just the way that you approach people in society, you have to recognize that they are living the life that they are for a specific reason. They came from somewhere. There's a reason why they're acting this way. It's not just like, oh, we write a song called Fuck the Police because we hate the police just because. It's like, no, there's a like that comes from somewhere or, you know, and and so I don't know. I just I love how this film kind of like you guys were saying fr- from the beginning, it just kind of establishes the just the reality of the world that they're living in. And um, yeah, just, just this kind of central conflict throughout the movie and perhaps throughout the duration of, of this rap group and um, just that dynamic and that conflict between law enforcement and uh, people of color from specifically African-Americans from impoverished communities and how those things clash. Um, Yeah. And I I mean, the way, Oh, sorry. Finish your thought. Then I'll, well, yeah, I was just going to say real quick that I think a movie could be made that shows the perspective of police officers, right? And that could be equally as important, arguably. But this movie is not about that. This is about showing the experience of African Americans coming from that place. And I think it does a really good job of capturing what their reality is. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of one smart thing that the the screenplay does it is it often structures their um, the moves that they make and the the music that they write 
in this sort of reactionary way in the sense of like they'll have a confrontation with the police in which they are being unjustly profiled and manhandled and then you see them then you see the cut to them singing fuck the police you know <laughs> like it it's very clearly draw, um drawing a line between the two you know this is not coming out of nowhere like you said this is a reaction to what is actually happening the experiences that they're actually happen uh, having um yeah, and I, I think it's done very effectively. Um, I really liked this is jumping forward a little a little bit, so we don't have to spend too much time on this. But um, I really like the scene in front of their um, uh, the the recording studio where they're just standing out front doing literally nothing when the police come up and just start you know, manhandling them and forcing them onto the ground. And Jerry comes out and he's yelling at them and everyone is yelling. And one of the police officers is black. And, you know, there's this argument that ensues. And, you know, you see, you know, you kind of see it from both perspectives, although I say that with, you know, the heavy, like, obviously our sympathies are 100% on the side of NWA. You know, we're not, <laughs> we're not with the officers who are, um, you know, treating them this way, but it is this sort of interesting deepening of the the context of the time where there is that kind of cultural divide and that sort of perspective of like, you know, you're the, you look wrong, you're the, the wrong type of person or something like that. And that's what justifies this happening. And so then with that context, you know, we cut to fuck the police and you completely understand why, you know, why that sentiment would, um, you know, is something that one that they would create and then one that would become, I, from what it seems like in the movie, um, a massive hit. Yeah, and I think there's a line in the movie at another point when Dre gets arrested where he gets bailed out the next morning by Easy e and he tells him, he's like, I was literally just standing there. He was, and I yeah. Think that, mm -hmm. Yeah, like that's an actual line in the script and I think that that's kind of just a, a prevalent theme throughout the movie um and i mean there's you that really upsetting scene where ice cube is trying to go home and the police are you know arresting some people in the middle of the street and just because he happens to walk out of his house at the wrong time all of a sudden his head is down on the hood of the car his hands are behind his back you know he didn't do anything apart from just try to walk across the street and then all of a sudden you know he's being treated and he's being like a criminal and he's being patted down you know and his parents yeah. are like right across the street and they can't do anything. You know, it's so viscerally upsetting. Mm -hmm. And Geneva, j just to kind of lighten it up a little bit, because I feel like since the start <laughs> of the episode, we've been a little bit heavy. But Geneva, you mentioned Jerry. And I just want to throw out there that I love Paul Giamatti as an <gasps> actor. Like, I, I feel like he... he I feel like he doesn't really often have starring roles. He's kind of always the supporting um and maybe great, I'm wrong he's about like the that. definition of an amazing character actor he's he is so good and I feel like I've never seen him in something where I just think oh yeah that was all right every time mm -hmm. it's like no Paul Giamatti is so good absolutely and then, especially considering I'm pretty sure this is the third thing I've seen him in where he plays a skeezy music manager <laughs> like he just <laughs> Wait, fits that really? role so well <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just think of him in like this and then big fat liar <laughs> 
and then uh cinderella man and uh, yeah i mean i just i love i mean i just I watched Pokemon. john adams which of course he's amazing in yes. um yeah he, he's great i think the first thing i saw him in was cinderella man for which he won an oscar i think um oh, well, well yeah and I also wanted to note, I also love Corey Hawkins. I feel like after I yeah. saw Straight Outta Compton, yes. I was all in on Corey Hawkins. And I was like, when is this man going to be in something else? And he was kind of like not really on the scene for a while. He was in Black Klansman a few years later. But then I feel like he really started to come to the forefront. I remember everyone was like, who is this black guy singing in in the Heights? I'm like y'all. He was in like he was in straight out of Compton, and he killed it. Like you yep. gotta trust he's gonna be good. And then he was in Tragedy of Macbeth, and I'm just really happy that his career is starting to pick up because he is so talented. He can sing, he can act, and I think he's gonna be in the upcoming version of The Color Purple as well, which I think is gonna be a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that his portrayal as Dr. Dre in this movie. I mean, all of the portrayals of everybody in this movie are so good. The casting is phenomenal. The acting is great. Hashtag Oscar so white. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I just wanted to make sure that I shouted out Paul Giamatti and and Corey Hawkins because I think both of them do a fantastic job. I will will piggyback that. I'll piggyback that and and throw in Jason Mitchell because um, Mm -hmm. he... Yes. I think this was that was his breakout role. And I don't know what he's doing now. I'll have to defer to you guys on the technical yeah, merits I didn't of, recognize of the filmmaking. Him. But he was on. He was on the shy. Yeah, he was in the shy for the first two seasons when it was actually a, a decent uh, episodic Showtime series, and then it turned into a soap opera. But strategically, he left for some reason. They wrote him out, and he's. I think he's doing other film work now. But, but uh, yeah, big, big, uh, big shout out to Jason Mitchell because I think uh, that that was a breakout performance for him in in uh, Straight yeah. Out of Compton. Very convincing, uh, very sincere, very true. Um, uh, and and let's you know, I, I I'm gonna just again on the technical side, I'm gonna throw out some 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 kudos to the the hair and makeup team too only because i'm partial because of my wife but uh yeah i mean so that many whole jerry period, curls yeah so many jerry yes, curls yeah 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 i mean that's and that's not easy to do by the way uh I, I, not that i ever had it i didn't but uh but yeah that that was that was very true to form uh for the period so yeah i would love uh, to see out. you with a jerry curl with a jerry curl yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so um, um just kind of continuing to move forward a little bit. My dad kind of mentioned this earlier when he was talking about, you know, this music kind of throws back to classic funk and how you can't listen to it and not move. Right. And there are so many scenes in this movie of people just vibing in a recording studio. And that has been a fantasy of mine for as long as I can remember. It has never happened to me, but if there's ever a day where I have the opportunity to go to a recording studio where someone talented is making music right in front of my eyes and I can just like sit there and bob my head and jam. Oh, that, that would be such a dream, (laughs) but I love how many scenes there are of that in this movie. And whenever those scenes would happen, I would find myself doing the same thing, sitting in my chair, like my head's going back and forth because it's so great. I love, love, love the scene where um, early on when, when Cube gets home from school and uh, Dre is there and I think Easy es there as well. Like they're just in their their house and Dre is like playing this thing that he worked up and he's scratching and it's just 
a great sort of early on indicator of like, oh, this person is massively talented, you know, and it's just, it's kind of your first introduction to the type of music that they're going to be performing. And it, it sounds great. And I feel like that opening scene where they make their first, their first song, I I think it's straight out of Compton where it starts with cruising down the street in my six foe, where like, I just love watching. I feel like that that scene in particular does such a good job of portraying Dr. Dre's genius because it's this scene where Dre is there and there's two other people in the room and Easy E's in the booth, right? And Dre recognizes like, okay, in order for Easy E to feel comfortable, everyone else has got to leave. And then he's trying to explain a story of, hey, you know, don't like just imagine you're sitting in a car. You just talk to me like you would talk to me normally. It's not, don't try and put on a, like, just be you, be you. And it kind of reminded me of like how directors work on a film set, right? You have to help the actor or the performer feel comfortable and get into that space so that they can perform. And I feel like that scene does such a good job of showing Dre's genius from the very beginning of Easy e who has literally never rapped before, clearly is out of his element Dre is able to get him to that place where they make a hit song, you know, and I and I think that that is so, so cool. And I love how they had a scene like that in the beginning, because I feel like the rest of the scenes of him, you know, mixing things or producing are very short or like it's towards the end of the song and it's already been made or something like that. But this shows from the beginning of the beginning how good of a producer he is. Yeah, that's a really good point. I I didn't think of that because, you know, easy he, he sings it the first couple of times and you can just tell it's wrong you know it just it doesn't sound good you know he's not on the beat he's not feeling it and everything and then dre talks to him and then he does it and you hear the finished thing and you're like oh that sounds amazing you know they do such a good job of the kind of before and after contrast yeah i i would you know looking back at that time frame in the late 80s when, 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 uh, I think Tatum touched on it earlier that, um, they were beginning to cross over, so to speak. And it, it really wasn't reg- rap was not regarded as a mainstream artistic talent, right? It just, it, it was kind of viewed as, and, and if any of you here, I mean, I don't, I don't have the ability to, to, to rhyme, <laughs> let alone, uh, uh, you know, speak to a beat, but it's, it's, it's definitely an art form. It's definitely a craft that has to be worked on and developed and practiced and, and hour after hour after hour of putting together and then synchronizing that with, with, with some sort of a, uh, production of, it just, it's, there's so much to it, like anything in life, right? Like any genius or any creative type individual, um, it's a, it's unfortunate that it took us literally probably until the 90s. Um, this is some years after, right? Um, NWA and Public Enemy and all that, where it really began to, and I don't really know when, I don't want to get away from the movie, but at some point it went from what they call gangster rap. And which I think is an interesting term because really it's reality rap. I kind of like that. I heard that expression, which I didn't pick up on the first time I watched yeah, it for when sure. the film came out. And then I watched it last night and I was like, oh, reality. Yeah, yeah. It's not gangster rap. I mean, that's that's the world's or society's spin on it. These are gangs and they're thugs and what they, they have no no place in society. They're a menace. Uh, and they're really just telling a story about their reality growing up in the city. And uh, yeah. So anyway, um, 
at some point that transitioned into hip hop some years later and and now here we are but yeah so yeah and you talking about people just kind of having that talent of being able to just come up with something in the moment and spit rhymes i just it reminded me of that scene which i know this is super brief but i think that this is kind of the casting of the century i feel like lakeith stanfield playing snoop dogg is so <laughs> unbelievably perfect. It's so I, like it is absolutely perfect. I think it is the casting of the century. No, like it's just is yeah, uncanny yeah. how much he looks like him and embodies him and like sounds like him. But anyway, I love that scene when he walks in when Dre's yes. got that iconic beat that yes. anyone who knows rap music knows it. And he just walks. He's like, you know, let me uh, let me let me try something out, okay? And he's like, one, two. One. Three, two, the phone is at the dope. <laughs> like, it's so, we all, like, I just love listening to that and just Death kind of that seeing that, see how that song, seeing how that song came to be, because that's a song that I've known forever. And I, I'm obviously, this is a depiction of it, right? I don't know if it exactly happened that way in real life, but seeing that captured on camera of like, Dre is sitting there coming up with that melody and that riff and then Snoop just comes in and is like, hey, let me try something. And it's great. Um, <laughs> I love this so much. And can I just say that, like, I, you know, I was watching it as I, as I watch a lot of my musical biopics. And it's, it's hard because there, there is a formula that they tend to follow. And mm -hmm. there's only so much you can do to kind of get away with it, you know, depending on kind of the, the scope of what you want to depict. And so I was watching this and I was like, why is this really good? And something like Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> apologies to any, all the Bohemian Rhapsody fans out there, but that movie. No not apologies good. needed, Geneva. <laughs> like, no apologies needed. <laughs> but I feel like it also, I think, for me, does help that I am again don't know anything about rap. You, you're like this is an iconic beat, and I have like I have no idea what that song was. I know who Snoop Dogg is. Wait, you didn't know that song? That, no. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> no crazy! <idea. laughs> Did you know California Dreaming by Tupac? California. Da -da 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 -da. I know the name da -da 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 -da. California Dreaming. Maybe. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy! But I think okay, Geneva. But but I got to yeah. take exception. You can't throw shade on Freddie Mercury. Number one. Oh, but oh, but that said, Freddie but, Mercury is Queen different is from the movie Freddie Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, the, the film, Rhapsody. the film. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, not the song. Okay. My bad. The song, no, is no, no, no. The song is amazing. Yes. <laughs> no. Copy that. Copy that. We, completely. Everybody different. loves Freddie Mercury. One of the most talented singers of oh, the twentieth century. Another genius. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, if you like that, if, if you embrace that, I would say my first rap cassette, okay, it wasn't, this is, eh, yeah, the CDs came out in the 80s. So, but for some reason, I don't know why I had a cassette because cassettes were convenient back then. Uh, but my first rap, quote unquote, purchase cassette was The Chronic, Dr. Dre, The Chronic. So if you, if you go back to the film Sick. and I, and I think, um, there's that billboard. Easy, that easy is driving through the neighborhood, just sort of reflecting on what's going on and how in the hell he's did I get here? He's cruising down the street in his 6'4". Well, yeah, he's cruising, all right, but but he's also very frustrated because he realizes I'm broke, I'm 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 bankrupt. What's going? What the hell's going on? I got and he sees you know Dr. Dre's you know chronic poster billboard, right? And that's when he's just like, I've gotten so far away and I'm so far removed now from 
who I am and, and, and what I want to be that I've got to find a way to get back. Right. And that's when he tries to reconcile and we know the rest, but yeah, anyway, so, so that reference to the chronic is, is, is important because that was really after that straight out of Compton record. Um, and of course, you know, we know that ice cube went on and did his thing. And that's all we got to talk about cube, by the way, hopefully before we get off this cast, cause, cause he's just, Oh my gosh, I could go on and on, but, uh, Dre released, his uh on, on death row records that was his first release um possibly his only release i'll have to check that uh but an amazing uh I, I don't know if you've heard it i don't even know if you can find it anywhere unless you subscribe to apple because i think apple has the rights to it you can't just pick it up on spotify or can you i don't think you can um uh if you have access to the chronic give it a spin and listen and just put on some he- put on a headset and listen to it cover to cover and it, w- it, it will take you to a place, <laughs> frankly, I, I, if you don't like it, um, I, there's something wrong with you. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like that's true for all of the artists here, though. Like, if you listen to a whole NWA album, if you listen to a whole Cube album, if you listen to a whole Dre album, if you listen, like, any of, the, or, a Tup- or a Tupac album, or or a Snoop album, like all of like this group is just so iconic. If you listen to any of their stuff, it's, I, I mean, yes, some of it's controversial, but also it, I mean, you can, it's so, it's all so good. The talent that exists in this group and who Dre managed to discover, it's just, I don't know. It seems like magic to me. It seems impossible, but somehow it happened. Um, But yeah, so Another thing that I kind of wrote down here is this is something that I feel like for me, I don't I don't know how many people of color think about this when they watch things, but I definitely do. And it's very impactful for me when it happens. But I love how this movie captures um, black culture and or African-American culture and just the fact that being black is beautiful. Um, because I feel like Spike Lee has talked about this as well. I really I love Spike Lee, but he said before that growing up, And this is not me saying, like, let's have more nudity on screen because whatever. But I remember Spike Lee said that growing up, he never saw black women naked on camera or black men unless they were like slaves or something. And he was like, I'm going to change that. I'm going to show that black is beautiful. Right. And so for me, as I'm not fully black, I'm mixed, but it's it's nice for me to see african-american women on screen that are seen as beautiful granted they're not always being treated in in the best way but there is still this idea of you know the reason these men want them is because they are attractive because they are beautiful because you know all of that and i love the dichotomy of just showing you know there's all of this violence and there's a lot of danger for these communities because they grow up in those types of environments but there's also a lot of beauty too. And there's a lot of camaraderie in the culture and brotherhood. And you see that when Dre's younger brother dies, which is an incredibly moving scene that it moves me to tears every time. I think it's so powerful and you see them come together as brothers at the end. And, you know, there is so much beauty in this culture as well. So I just love seeing that portrayed on, on screen because it's not always doom and gloom of like slavery or or we just don't have black people at all um i just think this movie does a very good job of representing um just black people and african-american people as 
being beautiful and, and there are valuable aspects of that community as well. So I like that representation a lot. I think we need more of it and Oscar's so white. <laughs> there's a there's a great point. That's a great point. Here's the counterpoint. Um, and that is there is a, a tremendous amount of hatred and derision within our own with within the black culture, which I've never understood um, or fully. I, I have an idea. But um, the, the, the film does a fairly realistic job of demonstrating the bravado, the false bravado that black men, um, particularly inner city black men, face, right? Um, the opening scene, um, he's, he's, hey, where's my money? Uh, and the guy's like, hey, man, you're disrespecting my house. Then it's like, well, fuck you. I, I'm here to get my money. I could just, this is a crack house I don't, or it's a, it's a drug house. I, I don't need to respect it. I just want my money. And then, and then of course that evolves into this sort of standoff, right? Face-to-face standoff. Like who's going to break first? Who's really going to, going to, going to upset the apple cart here and really break down and surrender. And of course, then the, the cops show up and, you know, we move on to the next scene, but that that's a real thing in the black community, which I've never quite uh, you know, as part of that, I've I've witnessed it, um, and it's almost as if this 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 attempt to prove yourself um, is paramount, and and the only re- the only me- means by which I can express that is through violence, right? By by really showing you that I'm a badass. Um, as opposed to uh, what what I believe Cube does, a fair, even though he has his moments, <laughs> he certainly had a moment when he is like, "Where's my money?" and he blows up, you know, destroys a guy's office, the record producer or whatever. I get that, but for the most part, Cube um, is portrayed as this level-headed, like, "Okay, it's going to be like that. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna use my intellect to overcome." Rather than be violent and just get up, get up in everybody's face and scream and yell, uh, I could do that. But no, I'm going to take a different approach and I'm going to use intelligence <laughs> to, to dictate my market. Right? Um, I, I that's what I wish we would have more of um, instead of. But but you know, um, it might but, sound a little. But the fact of the matter is, is this like you you could say that we wish we had more of that captured on screen, and and that might be true. But also, this film is trying to to the extent that it can realistically represent what these men went through and where they're coming from. Right. And if you had changed this story, then it wouldn't have been true. And so this is the reality of how these men behaved and where they came from. And I think that kind of what I think that there's this, I there's this reality of you have to fight for your rights because if you, and, and again, like if you listen to, to these to, to the rap music that that this community releases or like Kendrick Lamar or things like that you know they 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 come from a place where it's like I don't necessarily know why we treat each other this way but this is the world that I grew up in and so in order for me to survive in order for me to have some sort of value in my life because I'm not getting value from my community from society from whoever, like, this is the way that I can, this is the only way that I know how to get respect and how to be treated well, even if it's only for a little bit, right? But they're all living this reality of, maybe not all of them, but a lot of these members are living this reality of, honestly, I might not live that long. So if I can just have my respect today, then that's what matters because I could be dead tomorrow because someone died yesterday or a week before or whatever, you know? And I think... Which is really sad, I, 
actually. I, I, I mean, yeah. yes, but we have to recognize that we don't live in an idealized world. And being a person of color in these communities, especially when the police can be very harsh, that's that's what you have to do in order to survive. And I think it's, yes, you can ask the question of, of why does this exist? And we you can go back in the history of that and, and kind of trace it back to other things. But you know, it's not something that you can just wake up and, and flip a switch and be like, okay, well, I'm going to just change the way that I live and we're all going to change the way that we live and we'll be fine. Like there's, there's a lot more going on here. Um, but I think yeah. that gets to one of the, um, one, you know, one of the things that was debated a lot, I believe when, um, gangster rap or reality rap was first coming onto the scene and and something I think the movie gets into a little bit. I wish it had gotten into it more, but when art is depicting violence, what is the line between, um, you know, art should depict violence as a reflection of the reality of the world versus art being something that then encourages violence? You know, where is the sort of um, line of responsibility for the artist in depicting something that is true about the world in a way that doesn't then sort of promote or glamorize it, um, you know, in a, a sort of negative way. I really like that scene with where, where Cube is being interviewed by that journalist. And he says, you know, the journalist is asking him all these questions about like, do you feel bad about doing, you know, see, people say this about your music and that about your music. And, you, you know, do you feel, how do you feel about that? And, and he's like, look, man, I'm a, I'm a journalist. I'm just like you. But then he goes on to say, <laughs> you know, fuck you, I'm cube, get out of here. Um, you know, so there's that kind of two sides of it where, where cube does have that very sort of, you know, intellectual, like, you know, I have my reasons for the, the, the things that I say, you know, and I have, you know, I, I have a, a justification for the, you know, the kind of out there nature of my lyrics. But then there is also that kind of emotional side of it, of that sort of like, you know, but I also have to have my sort of respect. I need to be seen by the world in a certain way. And if, if you disrespect me, then I'm going to, you know, terminate this interview and <laughs> kick you out of my well, house. That, that's not why he terminated the interview and kicked him out of the house. The reason he did that is because he was told that the interview was going to be about Rodney King and giving his insight as to that event and why that mattered and why that was important. And Rodney King is something very important that should be talked about. And he was like, I have a voice. I can speak for this community. And this is what I want to speak into because this matters. And this journalist was just trying to look for dirt. He was like basically TMZ. He was like, no, I just want to talk about like the controversy around whatever. And Ice Cube was like, no, I want to talk about something that actually matters because that's what I was told was going to happen. And if you're going to disrespect this super tragic event that happened because you just want to get dirt to make money and sell articles, then you can get the fuck out of my house. And so... I think that that is a completely justified response and it's not something where it's like, Oh, I'm a gangster. I'm just going to like assert my respect because that's all I know how to do. Mm -hmm. It's more so a completely rational, like I would have done the same thing. And I think that it's a completely legitimate response to, to that. Scenario. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit complex, which I, I like, which is he, he, he is completely justified in, 
um, terminating the interview and kicking out the journalist because of what he says. He also does it in a way that is, I think, um, you know, maybe others would not <laughs> not have done it in that way. He maybe didn't have to do it in that way. Um, but the the action he took was justified given the circumstances. So let me just say real quick, let me just say real quick, something that my dad has said for as long as I can remember, he always says like, oh, I, I'm, I'm a pacifist, I'm a pacifist, right? And I feel like, Geneva, maybe you identify the same, I don't know. I am definitely not a pacifist. I played ice hockey through college. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm like, if you mess with me, like, I'm gonna drop you to the ground. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. So I think that... Yeah, I just think that we're we we might be coming at this from different from different perspectives, and I do think like sometimes there is a place for peace, and then sometimes like sometimes you lose your control a little bit, and like it is it is justified because your reaction is coming from a place of hurt and pain or feeling disrespected, and you know you can't. I feel like there's this pressure, especially on the black community. You, you you see it in Martin Luther King, which is one of the reasons I really respect him because I could not live my life the way that he did probably because it's so hard for me to imagine. But Martin Luther King would say like, this is not a direct quote, but he would say things similar to, we have to be the bigger person because if we retaliate with violence, then we're just going to perpetuate this idea of black people are violent and they don't use their brains and they just do this. And da -da. he was like, we have to prove them wrong. We have to be the better person. And there's so much pressure on the black community to act like that. And it's like, we can't be composed all the time. Sometimes it is a legitimate response to be fucking pissed and retaliate. And, you know, if it happens once every six years and you've been dealing with shit for six years, that's a pretty good, like, that's a pretty good track record in my opinion. You know, it's not like Cube's doing this every day of his life, at least not as how he's depicted in this movie. I don't know what his day-to-day -day lifestyle is, at least back then. Yeah, but, I mean, they depict a few um, times, but it do yeah. definitely doesn't seem to be his kind of normal, um, yeah, operating mode. Yeah. But anyway, there's a legitimacy to pass to being passive, but I also think there is a legitimacy to being uh, riled up and aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, Cube, Cube is, and I think it uh, perhaps it underscores what I was saying before about Cube. It, it, you know, you know his his reaction to that interview really, I, I feel, demonstrated social intelligence. It was it was more of a conscious effort that I, I'm not going to go there with you, pal. I'm just not. So. Uh, you're looking for something provocative to sell papers or sell whatever you're, you're what article you're trying to move. Uh, I'm here to talk about reality. And if that's not the case, then the interview's done. I think, and that's not necessarily passive, actually. I, in many respects, the, the, the quiet person in the room is, is often holds the power. And I can speak to that because I've, I've been there in the, in the corporate boardrooms. I'm, I'm always kind of quiet, but, but, you know, uh, you're the one that ultimately is controlling the outcome. Um, uh, and, and, and I thought that was a good display of that. Um, and Cube, just in general, I mean, I, I, aside from his rap lyrical genius, he, at, at his heart of heart, I, is, is an incredible business person, right? I mean, he, he, he went on to, I, I think, Geneva, you referenced it Friday, that's that whole series of films. The first two were hilarious. I down the road when it went to the barbershop and all that, it, it got a little 
you know, soap opera. The, the first, first barbershop is good. Yeah. But that, but getting back to Friday, I mean, that first, first one or two, I think, I, I don't know how many did they do, maybe three or four, but the first two are absolutely hilarious. And, and that was his, again, that was his production about living in the inner city and, and inner city, living in LA and South central and, 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 but in a comical way so that we could not only feel the pain of the struggle, but laugh at ourselves, which I think is important. Yeah. yeah, he's such a fascinating character in in this movie. He's so multifaceted. Yeah. I almost, this is something I wanted to talk about. I feel like with this movie, I wish that it was like a, a, like a limited series, a limited TV series where they had 10 to 15 episodes and each one was an hour long and really diving more into the backstory of these characters and just how they evolved over time. Because I feel like watching this movie, it ends and I'm just like, I, I want more. I can tell that behind the scenes of each one of these sequences, there's so much more going on with each of these individuals and in each of their stories. And I think given the, you know, this is just a film and it's, I think this is what, two, two hours, 15 minutes, something like that. I think that given the time restraint that it had as a feature film, it did a really good job, but I really wish that like that, that the story of these men could be told in a much longer format where you could really get into the details of everything because there's so much there with each of these guys who knows, maybe it'll happen someday, but yeah, this movie left me wanting more. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even just with their personal lives, you know, at a certain point, Alexandra Mm -hmm. Ship shows up as, um, I think her name is Kim, who's who's Ice Cube's wife. Um, And it took me a couple scenes for me to realize that she was a a (laughs) character who is going to stay. (laughs) She is not really introduced. She's just sort of um, shows up. Um, But, you know, we sort of see all, several uh, some of them have kind of a rotating slate of girlfriends um, who we don't get to learn a whole lot about, um, although we do get to to meet, um, I think Tamika is her name, uh, Easy E's yeah, um, yeah, girlfriend at the time of his death. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's there's so much more to their personal lives that we the movie just doesn't have time to cover um, that I would be really interested to see. And of course, there are just all the different kind of business ventures and other musical projects that are kind of obliquely referred to, but they don't have time to go into. Not to mention that there's three other members of this group. Yes. <laughs> are, are kind of sidelined, you know? Yeah, which can I say too, you know, I, I rented this movie on Amazon to watch it and the Amazon trivia, I swear, like multiple times throughout the movie had a piece of trivia about how... Um, MC Ren, I think that's his name, the the Aldous Hodge character, is, yes. you know, he's a very influential and well-respected musician yes. in his right. And there's a piece of trivia that would keep coming up about how the real life MC Ren was kind of annoyed by the fact that he's sidelined to being easy. Oh, um, no! <laughs> sidekick in the oh. character. <laughs> he was very... MC Ren. Yeah. According to the trivia, he was very complimentary toward the movie, but he was a bit irritated that that's how they depicted him. You know, and it, it's just a product of time, I assume. You know, you just can't cover everything. But like I'm saying, let's get a limited series. That that would be so great. Absolutely. That makes me sad for him, though. That's a bummer. Yeah. Um. Also, I want to correct something that I said before, because 
I just, I will not be able to sleep tonight if I don't mention it. I said California Dreamin' before was a uh, Tupac song. It's not California Dreamin'. It's California Love. I'm sorry. California yeah. Dreamin' is like an old, um, <laughs> which is also a good song. song I've got, am I... well, there is a Beach Boys version, but there's okay. also like another version that's older than that, that I've got in a playlist somewhere. Um, yeah. But yes, California Love. I needed to correct that because mm-hmm. that's just ignorance on my part um can i ask a quick question about um not to go back to jerry and paul giamatti but i was i wasn't quite sure in the end how to feel about his character and so i was just curious to get both your thoughts on um i think i'm maybe predisposed by the casting of paul giamatti and by the narrative um to believe that easy is correct that he was cheating them but then yeah i i wasn't quite sure that how fully to believe when jerry says this is just how the game is played if if like yeah i wasn't quite sure where the movie ultimately fell on jerry and whether he was kind of you know genuinely trying to help them and maybe just was enriching himself a little too much along the way or whether he was kind of a creep from the beginning, if that makes sense. Geneva, I love that you bring that up because I actually wanted to talk about Jerry next um, because I feel like we haven't talked about him too much. So, yeah. So I have a very specific answer to that question. But before I say that, I just wanted to throw out there, there's one scene where they're all having the the first like major concert at the venue where Jerry brings in um, like another uh, record uh, label guy record producer and they're kind of standing there listening and he's kind of pitching the band to them and um and everyone's like yeah sorry no we can't do it they're too controversial whatever but <laughs> there's this one song where they're like do that shit do that shit do that. and he's singing along just like the only white guy in the crowd and he's like older than everyone else he's like do that shit do that shit do it <laughs> like it's just amazing i love seeing jerry just like He's like, yeah, I, I I can get into this. I can vibe with this. Like, cool. Um, yeah, he does genuinely yeah. seem to like admire the the brilliance of the the artists, and you know, obviously, he's kind of the first person who really recognizes the their genius and and the commercial possibilities that it has. So, you know, he definitely is for you know, really does genuinely appreciate able to appreciate um, this style of music and and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, But Geneva, to go back specifically to your question, um, I'm not going to say that this is 100% correct. This is just my interpretation. Um, I feel like in that last scene, we get a real indication that Jerry is a sleazebag. I don't know if he necessarily was like that from the very beginning. Um, I feel like he was in the sense that he delayed a lot, giving the other men their contracts and things like that. but I think the thing that really solidifies that at the end is when Easy E confronts him and Jerry's kind of trying to talk him down and convince him to stay. And he's kind of trying to convince Easy E that he's crazy and making all of this up. And I wrote down the line. So Jerry has this pitch and he says, have I covered my own ass? Have I covered my end? Yes. But don't you fucking tell me that I never took care of you. And then Easy e kind of goes back at him and goes back and forth with him. And then Jerry repeats the same thing again. Have I covered my own ass? Have I covered my own end? Yes. But don't you fucking tell me that I never took care of you. 
And so it's like, he's done this before, or he's, it's either he's done this before, or he's been waiting for this to happen. He's been rehearsing. And he has this, yeah, like he has this script rehearsed of Mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to say. And this is how it's going to get him to calm down. And so he's like panicking in this moment because he's realizing this whole thing that I've rehearsed that's worked with Easy e in the past, now it's not working, but I don't know what else to say. So I'm just going to repeat the same line. But he's almost so delusional that it almost seems like he doesn't even notice that he's saying it a second time. He doesn't recognize that, oh, wow, I'm just... So I feel like for me, that just solidifies that Jerry is a manipulator. He was not actually genuinely maybe at some points he was because i do see points of him having actual empathy like when the police officers arrest him outside the building and he's like these men have rights you can't do this but i think ultimately it's it's about making money and he recognized that easy e is a an easily manipulated guy because he hasn't been in this music industry before this is the first manager he's ever really met who was willing to take him on And he comes from this place where kind of hinting at what we said before, he's coming from this place where you have to fight for your rights. You have to fight for respect. And Jerry is the first person to show up and treat him kindly for no other reason than you're a human being. Right. And I think that Jerry takes advantage of that and takes it to a place where he really is just being a capitalistic sleazebag in my opinion. But I feel like that, that line that he repeats Mm. is really the thing that, that, solves that mystery for me that's a really good point because i i remember that that repetition and i could i was wondering if my video had skipped you know i'd like jump back (laughs) five seconds or something like that (laughs) i was very confused i think the the other reason that i i struggle a little bit with knowing how the movie ultimately wants us to come down on it is because i feel like especially as it goes on i don't really have a sense of where Easy e is in his own life because Easy e is talking about like, you know, he's constantly short of money and he can't understand why. But he also refers to the fact that he has a lot of children that he's taking care of. Um, it doesn't, the movie doesn't depict him being a sort of creative in the same way as Cube and Dre are where he's not really, I mean, maybe he is. It's just, I didn't get a sense from the movie that he's like, writing lyrics the way Cube is or, you know, producing the beats the way Dre is. He, he seemed like more he's just the rapper. And so maybe I thought maybe he just wasn't as able to produce as much or as much um, of the same quality as they were. So I, I couldn't tell whether to the extent to which he was in that situation because of his own, maybe the limitations of his circumstances versus because it was Jerry who was, you know, keeping him without money. Well, I think he was kind of he was kind of the business voice of the band. He was the one that brought Jerry in. He was the one who had to agree about that other guy who, you know, told Cube that he couldn't get his money and Cube destroyed everything in his office. But I think that I think Dre even tells him at one point, he's like, you you're the the financer of this situation. And they keep asking, like, doesn't Jerry work for you? Like, doesn't he work for you? It doesn't seem that way. All of that stuff. And so I think that Eazy-E was someone where he was, from where they came from, he was a businessman because he was the guy who was dealing drugs. He was the one who was making sure people got their dope on time and their money on time. Like So for where they came from, he was the business person. He was good at managing that stuff. But then when he got to like the big leagues and actually having to deal with real contracts, real legal documents, 
he was totally it was it was he was out of his realm he didn't know how to do it and so jerry was kind of this person that he latched onto in terms of like okay he seems like he knows what he's doing he seems like he likes us and like he cares for us and so i'm just gonna trust him because i don't think he understood it and cube says that at some point too when jerry hands him the contract he's like you know i can't read this shit like you know i don't Mm. understand this yeah and so i think it's that kind of situation of of you know, he, he is the business person. He is the owner of Ruthless. But because he doesn't actually know how to manage it well, Jerry kind of took over and he just kind of fell into that role and got comfortable with it because he was, quote, being taken care of. Gotcha. You know? Yeah, and that makes be- sense. Because they came because they came from nowhere, you also see that scene where they're like where uh Jerry hands Cube the check and he's like seventy five thousand dollars and everyone else took it. Because they were like, to them, $75,000 is a lot of money. And Cube was like, no, I deserve more than this. And I know that I deserve more than this. Whereas the rest of them, and I think including Eze, he was like, I have so much. So I don't care if I need more. Like, I, th- I have m- more than I've ever had. And Jerry knew that. Anyway, I'm talking in circles, but no, yeah, that that, makes, that's that kind makes of so like my reading of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, especially because it's like, Easy e and Jerry have that sort of special relationship that Jerry never had with the other members. And it makes sense. And I think that's intentional. Yeah. That that would then cause easy e to feel like I don't need to worry about anything. So I'm not going to question anything that Jerry is doing. Okay. Yeah. And Jerry knew that and he took advantage of it. I I don't know if it really, was evident, but this is what I took away from from the Jerry from Jerry or Paul Giamatti's character, and that is there, there's a there's an undercurrent of ex, exploitive experience. Um, I think with Jerry's character, in that he's a, he's he's a Jewish male in a in a industry that is notoriously abusive, right? Whether it's film or or music, uh, the, these industries are just notorious historically and continue to be. It's gotten better, but continue to be exploitive of of the artistry of the management all for profit right and and i think somewhere inside he knew <laughs> that he had to protect himself um he had to cover his own end um he had to extract and to some extent exploit uh the the artist to to make sure that they they generate the most profit as possible and along the lines he gets tied in with this guy who is just uh, obviously ignorant because they're what are they 20 years old at the time when they they reach fame and fortune 25 years you know whatever it is and they're on the road and they're having lavish parties and um they're oblivious including e he's oblivious to the expenses that he's running up right um so i'm i'm not defending jerry but i'm also saying i think they're may have been an inter and again we, they, the the film doesn't the director doesn't really tease the whole thing i'm i'm pulling this out extrapolating if i can um that maybe there was an internal conflict as a jewish male who's been exploited throughout his career um that he was trying to protect somehow some way but just my spin on it and i'll say this i'll say this there there's there's often you will hear there's often uh parallel um consciousness between the black and the jewish communities uh, historically, because of the the levels of exploitation and abuse that they've all experienced, different levels, but certainly there there's a parallel truth there um, that we have been, 
you know, uh, people of color, and I'll just say people of color, which includes the Jewish race, uh, have just been taken advantage of, right? And have had to fight and overcome. Um, so anyway, may, maybe there's a maybe there's an element of that there too. Yeah. So well, there's that in- interesting wrinkle that kind of adds complexity to it, where you know, Cube in during their kind of dis war, um, Cube has that line where he mentions that Jerry is Jewish in his line in a way that certainly can be interpreted as anti-Semitic. And Jerry picks up on it and is infuriated and is also infuriated that none of the others really seem to care all that much or, you know, you know, it, it doesn't really bother them. Um, and so there is, yeah, there is that kind of added complexity of that sort of interracial dynamics going on there. This is this is why I feel like we need a miniseries. Geneva, I know you don't like Ryan Murphy, but one of the things yeah. I love... So there's a, a miniseries for uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson. And one of the things I love about that series... Is it perfect? No. it is. There are problematic things about it. But it takes this very, very like intricate case that the whole country was invested in and it and it breaks down the perspectives of all of the different people involved so there's an episode from oj simpson's perspective there's an episode from one of his lawyers there's an episode from the um from the opposing side's lawyer there's an episode about one of his other lawyers there's an episode that's all about the jury there's an episode that's all about the judge like they spend an hour on each of the different major components or people that are involved in this major trial and that involves that revolves around very important issues in this country and racism and blah 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 so again oj simpson is very very different from nwa i am more or less pro nwa i am extremely anti oj simpson let me just say that but i just use that as an example because i feel like nwa is similar in the sense that it was controversial in the country there's a lot of different people involved in this from different perspectives and i want to see more of each of them and i feel like there's so much there to work with so yeah i i don't know why i keep thinking of the people versus oj simpson but like that's just kind of the the comparison that i have with that um yeah and i do need to see that series i don't I don't really consider, I know Ryan Murphy produced it. I don't really consider it to be a Ryan Murphy series in the same way that like yeah. Glee um, or <laughs> uh, <laughs> some of his other series are. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard really good things about that series. I do need to watch it. You also haven't watched the, um, the uh, crap. What is it? The, you, the Betty Davis. Yeah. You, and, you told uh, me about that one. I do want to watch because, that one too. Because I feel like you'd love it. And you're like, I won't watch it because Ryan Murphy. And I'm I've like, never Ryan said Murphy. I wasn't going like, to watch you, it. Like, this show is for you. I feel like you'd love it. I literally <laughs> never said I wasn't going to watch it. I will watch it. <laughs> well, okay. As long as we're on the, the topic of series, just real quick before before we move on, I just want to throw this out there. And, it, you know, for your benefit, um, uh, Geneva, perhaps, because coming off of um, Straight out of Compton, you may want to give a spin to the FX series, assuming you have Hulu or access to it, whatever, um, to the FX series called Snowfall, right? Oh, um, and it's it's a it's a 
I think it's four seasons. Correct me if correct me if I'm wrong on that, Tatum. Three or four seasons, and I think the final season's coming up next year, and then they're going to wrap it up. But it's really uh, a, a very, of course, it's not documentarial, uh, documentarial rather, but it's it does do a credible job of of demonstrating the the history of the 80s drug movement in LA in particular. So it's 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 kind of a storyline or a, a contextual storyline leading up as to what gave birth gave birth to NWA. You know. Now yeah, and I was, you know, when yeah. I watched the movie last night when I was watching it last night I'm like, "Oh my gosh. Okay, I remember so this was the 80s and the whole drug thing and war on drugs just just say no." And the 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 impetus behind this film really is what happens to a community when it's ravaged by drugs and poverty right and so there's a story behind there's a backstory to that and snowfall does a fairly credible job of and it's a it's a four season you know episodic fx series does a credible job of demonstrating that so give it a spin if you can if you got time okay yeah thanks and while we're on the topic of series <laughs> another another one that i would highly recommend to anyone listening uh francis i don't know if you remember watching this but i remember us talking about it because i think it came out when i was in college but there's an hbo limited series called the night of and it's oh it's God, about what was that? tell me i remember that name but i forget yeah, what it was about it's, it's about like the American prison system. Uh, yes. And so, yes. Yes. yeah, it's, it's starring, um, yeah. oh, why am I blanking on his name right now? Uh, Geneva, wh what's the, the actor who starred in the sound of metal? What's his name? Riz Ahmed. Um, yes. Riz Ahmed. This was kind of his like breakout role. Um, but he, so he gets arrested in New York city and he goes to jail and it's kind of all about like, just the, the intricacies of what happens inside of an American prison, the the alliances that are made between different people in the prison, whether it's a police officer and um, and a prisoner or two prisoners together. And it's so kind there's like there's rankings based off of social statuses and who knows who outside of the prison. And um, it's it's really, really, really good. Um, again, fictional. It's not it's not specifically based in like fact or anything like that no true events but it's heavily informed by things that happen and it shows a lot of different perspectives to the prison system of like these are good these are good police officers these are bad police officers these are good prisoners these are bad prisoners it it shows and gives like and gives legitimacy to all of these different perspectives and does a relatively good job of not saying these are the good people and these are the bad people um N not that uh, not that straight out of Compton is inherently about the prison system. Uh, it, it is in certain ways, but anyway, um, yeah. So those. So I've kind of gone through all of my specific thoughts when it comes to the movie. Do you guys have any other things you want to say about like any scenes or anything in particular that we haven't touched on yet before I move on to like critic reviews? Well, I would, I would, I would throw out a little respect for. Um, the Chicago White Sox because they were prevalent on uh, yes. Ed. Uh, the, the Sox, the uh, black, when well, black, the black hat with the Sox logo on the ball cap was uh, Do you know prominently why? displayed throughout the film. I, I, I think. What's Eazy-E's relationship with Chicago? I was wondering that. It's not. There is none. I th there was uh, there was another one. It was uh, there was either Yankees, um, but the but the White Sox. 
were back then were it was kind of this uh, this um, um, uh, what would I call it in the inner city they were considered the uh, radical departure baseball team with the with the iconic White Sox name they were a black team on the south side of Chicago but they were oh. named the White Sox. There was an element that's, of, of controversy cool. there. Huh. And so that they would they would display these like, yo, what's up? We represent in the you know the black community, uh, even though it's a because that's awesome. You when you see that logo, m- many people did well, what is it? Okay, so it's a baseball cap. What's the big deal? Well, if you know the White Sox, you know that you you know where it's from. So yeah, it, it was, me, it was and, me and my dad are me and my dad are big big White Sox fans, by the way. Yeah. The Cubs suck. The White Sox are the best. My dad would take me to opening opening day every yeah. year for like four or five years in a row. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and that's such a cool little piece of like, you know, a tribute to the costuming department. That is just a little piece of, um, you know, a little addition to the kind of cultural context that the, the movie is taking place in. You know, just yeah. just filling in the color of the, the neighborhood and the, the culture of the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything else, guys? Before I and I just I, I can't I can't I can't, we can't move on without me just throwing it, uh, some love for the soul music, the soundtrack, the baseline for for all of these these the uh, you know it, it's just unique to the L.A. rap scene. At least it was, and it's hip hop now is you know you've got a lot of artists that have been doing it forever, but. Dr. Dre was the first legitimate rap artist that would use this old school R&B music that everybody loved. I don't care whether you're white, brown, black, yellow, red. It was just the music of our of our of our, you know, 60s and 70s was like the birth of that entire movement. And he tapped into that and took it to a whole new level. So anyway, I just had to throw that out. Big, big love for Dre. Yeah, that that just makes me think about I I look forward to the future when we when we have some sort of incredible movie about Beyonce's life and her career (laughs) or Kendrick Lamar's life and his career, because, gosh, both of those people are so iconic as well and like have changed just shaken up the world with their perspectives on things and their songwriting and their music and everything. So I am 100% positive there will be some sort of movie about them in the future. Yeah. I hope it happens in my lifetime I, so that I can watch it. I weep for the the poor actress who's going to have to portray Beyonce <laughs> in a future biopic. You know, maybe it'll just be like O'Shea Jackson Jr., Ice Cube's son. Maybe it'll it'll be uh, Blue Ivy. Oh, it'll be yeah, Beyonce's daughter and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, anyway, that is tangent but uh yeah i look forward to that day um okay so that okay i'll just kind of wrap up our discussion of the plot there and i feel like barely any of that was about the plot it was kind of just about like <laughs> it's about i don't even know what that was the plot. <laughs> i mean yeah, the plot itself know that you was, know but... it is it is you know in some ways it is kind of the expected biopic formula you know it you know there's the rise and then the fall and the breakup and then the they get back together again or, you know, some sort of reconciliation um, is able to happen. You know, tragically, they're not able to perform again because Easy becomes sick and um, and dies before that's able to happen. But at least there are, you know, attempts at reconciliation before that. 
um, the the backdrop of the Rodney King beating and then the the ninety two L A riots, um, you know, is I think you've mentioned a couple times that's really huge. That is um, the the L A riots happened just about a week or so before I was born. Actually, I have a newspaper from the day I was born, and that's the the front page news. Um, so hearing, you know, so I kind of grew up knowing about it, but, um, getting to hear a little bit more about why it happened and kind of the, the effect that it was having at the time was really, really fascinating. I love how they showed that clip of Martin Luther King, which I actually, back when I was on Instagram, I posted on my Instagram, uh, in 2020, but that, Martin Luther King, in one of his speeches, he says, you know, riots don't come out of nowhere, basically. Um, they they come from somewhere. And um, yeah, I just I loved how they included that in there as well. Um, and there was something else I was going to say, but I've, well, I. Well, I, I just want to I, I uh, in the social consciousness aspect of the film, um, I, I take strenuous objection or I and I didn't at the time. Um, when that whole thing went down. Um, but to your point, Tatum, uh, riots do come from somewhere and it really isn't a riot. It's a protest. It's, 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 I'm fed up. I, I can't, I don't have the means to drive to the suburbs and wreak havoc there. And, uh, but the best I can do is I can destroy my neighborhood as an out, as an outpouring of protests because of this extreme injustice, right? Um, it's difficult for those of us on the outside looking in to really grasp that. Um, I've I've tried for years to try to put it in a framework of what would drive me to a point where I would just literally destroy my neighborhood, right? Um, and I can't come up with anything that would push me that far. I really can't. Um, uh, I don't think any of us can really. Maybe maybe we should give a deeper thought to that. But but the the riotous piece. Yes, yes, I get it. I'm not condoning violence. I'm not advocating violence, but there's a reason why these things happen, right? And and that, that you know, speaking about George Floyd and and that whole movement, um, peaceful protest, and uh, there was some writing that went on there too, right? I mean, the media would call it writing, right? But it was just us saying we have to be heard. We we, we can no longer sit silent and not, you know let this pass. That's the thing. It's, it's when, when you have something to say, but for so long, no one will listen to you and you're right. not being heard. It's this is like, well, is this, it's kind of like, uh, like, uh, Russell Crowe and gladiator, like shouting out, like, are you not entertained sure. type of thing? Not that they're trying to be entertaining, but it's like, will you pay attention to me now? that I've done this because right. you weren't paying attention to me before. Right. And this is the only thing that will get you to pay attention to me. And also when it comes to destroying your own neighborhood, I mean, you have to think about if you live in a place where your neighborhood is yes. not really a neighborhood nope. because, because of reasons that are entirely outside of yourself, you were born in this place and you can't control where you're born you can't control when you're six years old. You can't pick up and move when you're six years old. This is where you've lived your whole life. And so when your neighborhood is already in a state where all around you, you look around and you see, oh my gosh, like I'm not valued because if I was valued, then things would be taken care of better and all of this. So it's like if your neighborhood's not actually a neighborhood to begin with, then 
then there's a little bit less of a of a of a feeling or i can imagine there's a little bit less of a feeling or like attachment to the actual structures of that place like you're connected to your hometown and and i think everyone's kind of connected to their hometown in a certain way but I don't know. I think there's a lot of pain there as well. And I, I can see how people would get to that place. And again, maybe that's because I'm not strictly speaking a pacifist. But um, yeah, and I remember I, I went to, um, I mean, I, I'm not someone where I'm not, I, I frequent the the parts of Chicago that are quote unquote more dangerous because I'm, you know, I'm not scared of them. And I think it's important to see things that are different. But in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, when all of the protesting was going on and the looting and everything, I went to that area where it was happening, the part of Chicago where all of that was going on. And I, I helped clean up and everything, but I got to talk to so many different people. I got to talk to police officers who um, were incredibly mad at what people were doing. I got to talk to police officers that were empathetic and understood. I got to talk to people that lived there that were like, why are why are we destroying our own neighborhood and they didn't understand it and i talked to other people that lived there and they were like this place is a shithole anyway so like as long as you don't mess with my stuff do whatever you want there were so many different perspectives from the people that i talked to in the immediate aftermath of his murder and while the protesting was going on and so again kind of going back to what i said about this movie i think that we need to understand that Every response to anything comes from somewhere. And I like that this movie shows the perspective of African-American people who are enraged by how they've been treated and they have to rise up. And this group rises up through music that, depending on how you look at it, incites violence. I don't necessarily fully agree with that, but some people might. Um, But yeah, I just think it's important to, in everything, look at everyone's perspective and imagine like if I were in their scenario how would I react and not just judge from the outside and I feel like this movie does a really good job of helping people who might not otherwise be able to put themselves in the scenario of this type of person from this community it helps people do that and that's one of the things I love about cinema and I remember Geneva and I were talking about this when we were planning the podcast what are things we love about movies and one of them was movies help us access the realities of other people that we otherwise would not be able to access and understand. And I feel like this movie is a really good example of that. Um, anyway, thank you everybody for coming to my Ted talk. Um, <laughs> but, very, very well said. Uh, thank you. I'm writing a book. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay. I'm going to push forward because uh, we need to start wrapping things up. So as we mentioned earlier, this film was only nominated for one Academy Award, which was Best Original Screenplay, which was written by all white people. So that's fun. Um, (laughs) um, Although that's not me shaming white people at all. White people are very talented. They can write very good scripts. I don't, I'm not anti-white person, but it's just upsetting that this, (laughs) yeah, it's like this movie has such powerful performances by black actors that before this movie weren't really known and these were like their breakout roles. But after these movies, they kind of disappeared for a while because they weren't recog- – anyway. Yeah, it's yes. it's so, absolutely ridiculous that this didn't launch um, O'Shea Jackson Jr. and Corey Hawkins and Jason Mitchell to, you know, just yes. a string of 
you know, Oscar winning movie after Oscar winning movie or, um, or whatever, however they wanted their careers to look. I mean, they're, you know, they've all gone on to do great, good work, but um, yeah, give them all the world. Yes. Um, Yes. And so the movie also has been received uh, fairly well by critics. So uh, on Metacritic, it holds a score of 72 and then on Rotten Tomatoes, it is 89% fresh. Um, and there was one one critic review that I wanted to read because I feel like it kind of it, it shows kind of the different sides of things of, yes, the members of this rap group, in some ways, they they are problematic and also in ways that weren't necessarily captured and portrayed in this movie. Uh, but at the same time, it's the message that matters. So um, this is a review from John DeFore from The Hollywood Reporter from 2015, the year that this movie came out. And it says, if the movie pushes most of the ugliest behavior off onto side players, like the notorious Suge Knight played by R. Marcus Taylor, it does for the most part fulfill its mission, breathing life into the origin story of a group whose influence is still being felt. And so I like how that excerpt from that review kind of touches on, you know, this movie does kind of... it doesn't touch on certain things about the about the group that might be more problematic. Uh, it kind of pushes that on other characters and, and highlights it more in them. But at the same time, the movie does do something important by breathing life into um, just the, just these people and, and their influence on um, just American culture and music and things like that. So, um, yeah. And I think we've already kind of touched on the legacy of the movie. So I think we can move forward a little bit and uh, I'll just share for me the reason why I picked this movie and what aspect of the movie really did it for me, what uh, cemented the movie in my mind and heart. Um, This is probably a cliche answer of like, oh my gosh, out of this whole movie, this was the scene that really got you the most emotional one, blah, blah, blah. And yes, I, I was manipulated. That's fine. I was emotionally manipulated. But the scene that really did it for me was the one when Tyreek, Dre's younger brother, dies you find out that he died and dre kind of gets out of the tour bus and he's on the side of the street and and all of the men come around him and and they just really support him and and they really are just like brothers they're like a family in that moment and i just thought that that was really beautiful how these men who in a certain light can be seen as very um outspoken very intense very um aggressive in in certain ways but they also can be really tender and really caring at the same time. And I loved how they kind of, there aren't really very many tender moments in this movie, Um, but I love that they added this in there and I thought it was beautiful. So Geneva, uh, no, no pressure for you if you don't have anything to say, but is there anything in this movie that really like did it for you or is it kind of like, Oh no, just enjoyed it. Um, I think, I mean, I, I talked about already the scene in which they're harassed by the police outside the recording studio. Mm -hmm. And there's that sort of standoff where multiple things are happening at once because it's them, it's the office, the white officers, it's the one black officer, it's Jerry, and they're all kind of having this confrontation. And then that confrontation is what leads directly into Ice Cube writing, fuck the police. Um, and I thought that sort of that whole sequence worked really well. I think that's going to stick with me for a long time. And then I think there's just, you know, some individual scenes here and there that are going to stick with me. Um, 
but that, yeah, that's the one that immediately comes to mind. How about you, Francis? Is there any particular moment or aspect of this film that really um, just kind of stands out for you as something special? I, I'm going to keep it simple and just, you know, it's my second time watching it. The first time I was just captivated by the performance, the individual performances and knowing that I was parading about in a in a bucket hat that had NWA straight out of Compton on it. I had no clue who they were um, or what they stood for. Um, so, so I had to reconcile that the first time. But I'm going to I'm going to rest on just the soundtrack. It, it is it is arguably arguably one of the best movie soundtracks that has ever been compiled. But that's just, again, it's biased, but I'm going with it. <laughs> yeah. It's not biased. It's just your, your opinion. That's okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I just want to say uh, thank you to my father for joining us today. Um, it was lovely to have him as our first guest uh, he added Hopefully we can so- do it again sometime. It was fun. It went quick. Yeah, my gosh, fun. it went quick. I told my dad before, I was like, yeah, it's it might be two hours. He was like, two hours? I was like, believe me, it, it'll go by fast. <laughs> it always does, yeah. yeah. Geneva said the same yeah. thing before we started doing this. I'm like, oh. I mean, because I, I make movies, so like I know that things always take way longer than you think, but both of them before, they were like, is it really good? I'm like, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I know. Um, it's like, how are we going to have enough thoughts to fill the time? I was like, Geneva, no, we could quick. talk for five hours. <laughs> um, but anyway, speaking of talking about movies for a long time, uh, Geneva, can you tell us what movie we're going to be discussing next week? Yeah, well, speaking of movies in which the theme of um, re- rebellion against oppression and injustice is dealt with, um, we are going to go to a vastly different um, <laughs> time period and cultural context, but um uh, possibly still see some similar themes, but we are going to be talking about the um, 1930. Oh gosh, I always forget to look up the years before I say this. 38. What did you say? 1938. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The 1938 film, The Adventures of Robin Hood, which is one of my all-time favorites. Um, it's not the Men in a, Tights version. Just what did you say? It's not the Men in Tights oh, version, right? <laughs> I yeah. said the same They are in tights. It I is said not the, the comedy Men in Tights, <laughs> <laughs> which is also a movie I loved. It's kind of a guilty pleasure oh, of mine. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but yes, no, this is the original Errol Flynn version. Um, well, I shouldn't say original because there were versions of it before that. But, you know, the Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, some beautiful Technicolor. Um, so, uh, Tatum, have you seen this movie before? Have I forced you I... to watch this movie? I will reveal that next week. Oh, all right. Mm-hmm. TBD. <laughs> Tune yeah. in. Nice. It's a cliffhanger for the listeners. <laughs> yes. um, a little okay. stressed out now because I love this movie, but I guess we'll we'll find out. Yeah. Okay. Well, that does it for us today. Uh, thank you to Francis for being here. And as always, thank you to my partner in crime, Geneva, for being here. <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Well done. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. 
If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're so excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.